Hey folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. In this podcast, we're talking elk hunting. Uh, I just got back from a week of hunting with my good friends, Jenny P and Tome, and we had a successful elk hunt, and it was um, the highlight for sure was um, Jenny P getting her first uh, bull elk, and you'll hear that story in the podcast. It's lots of fun. I was thinking about, um, you know, been trying to sort of tell stories about how I use the iHunter app as part of our partnership going forward. And this one was a good one because I, the, um, we had, we, there's a couple of things we do with the iHunter app on these river trips that we do. So we, we did a pack craft trip. We're into a new area. We're running a piece of river that not a lot of people have done. So the first thing I was using the app for was I was scouting the river, uh, using both the mapping tools inside of iHunter. And as I could see, debris in the water or potential waterfalls or narrow spots in the river I'm, I'm dropping little marks along the way and i'm doing this from my desktop which is great so i can kind of get a really good view of things drop marks as uh, as a location along the river where i anticipate there to be some debris or some potential hazard ahead and the cool part is, is as i'm you know coming down river i i'm looking at my phone now and all those marks are our, our waypoints are, are automatically transferred to my phone as part of the system. And I'm able to sort of anticipate where I have to be, you know, getting out of the raft and having a look at the water ahead of me. So I love that transferability between the desktop version of the iHunter platform and then it going onto the app on my phone as I go through um, and, and e-scout ahead of time. And that's, you know, for a river, that's very specific. But, you know, as we're getting ready for a mule deer hunt here, Mickey and I, we're, we're, we're sort of dropping waypoints and having a look at stuff as we go and entering that data and in you know on our on our computer or on our desktop and and that information is going to be available to us on our phone so that's the i100 app is one of the good tools the other tool actually that was great on this tool on this trip which is a new one for me is that i added another layer of trails and like atv trails and hiking trails it's a new layer that's available and it, it's great because it shows you the road density in an area and so for us, as we were e-scouting the area we're going to, we're, we're looking for areas with less road density, less access, particularly since we're trying, that's our goal with these pack rafts, it's to get away from the usage. So again, another cool layer on the iHunter app is great for e-scouting. Also just great to know where people are accessing, you know, the access points of the area you're hunting in. And keep that in mind, particularly with elk hunting when there's multiple, potentially other hunters calling the same elk that you're trying to call. So yeah, two more great tools from the iHunter app. Uh, are two ways of using it as well. And I hope you check it out. There's a discount code if you want to get um, an account and, and purchase the private land layer. That's in our show notes. And again, there have been a support to the podcast. So, um, all right, let's talk elk hunting with Jenny and Tommy. Looking forward to this one. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt fish and gather wild food our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild so join us as we share stories ethics adventures and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. Uh, so we are 
post-elk trip adventure and I'm hanging out with uh, my good friend Jenny P and hunting partner and my good friend and hunting partner Tome. Welcome back to the Eat Wild podcast, Tommy. I think, when was the last time you were on here? Do you recall? I think it was uh, around about post another elk hunt um, two, two or three years ago. Oh, Jason. About Jason. Yeah, Jason's, Jason's um, beautiful elk. That was uh, quite the adventure. Yeah, that was, that was good. Okay, but we may have topped it with this last one. So. I think so. Right. Sorry, Jay. Jenny. Yeah, Jenny P. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Great, great. Have you recovered from from the hunt? I have. I got pretty beat up on this hunt. Oh, how come? <laughs> There's a lot of bushwhacking. Yeah, which is going to go to our one of our first points of topics, which is like I had a few no- things I want to talk about when it comes to this elk hunt. So, so well, welcome both. Thanks for being on here. So, just to give some background, we're, we're back home. Uh, and we we had a, a week long adventure on our elk hunt, and we uh, we we tried to record this in the field, uh, and unfortunately the card was full, so we are reconvening with a, a few days after the hunt. We've sort of back home rested, gear is somewhat clean, and here we are to kind of recount our adventure. And there was a couple things about this hunt that I wanted to bring to the community, the wild community. And one was like that con that like we spent. I think it was like we had we had we spent about twelve hours as we were driving in the direction of elk country, deciding where we were going to go, and I, and I think that's kind of an interesting conversation about what we what we were considering when picking a spot to go elk hunting. And I think and I and we we just finished our uh, I just put out our online elk hunting course, which is a um, which is about a, like four hours of sort of concepts about how to go elk hunting or where, where to go elk hunting and how to, how to do it here in BC based on everything that I know about elk hunting. And I brought in my friend, uh, Mike Bridger, who's a wildlife biologist and a, just a really, really knowledgeable elk hunter as well to kind of to share with you basically like everything I think you need to get, know to get started elk hunting and kind of, um, I think this conversation would be a good addition to that, that, that online course. And, and also just kind of, a, we were kind of applying a lot of that, like where, where to go and why and getting comfortable with the decision of where we were going to go. And, and I think that's cool. So we're talking about that today in this podcast. We'll also talk about, um, I think the three point season versus the six point season. Cause I think that's a, you know, we're, that's, that's an opportunity here in BC and we'll talk about that, explain that. And we'll talk a little bit about our hunt. So you guys up for that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, to get to get into things, I, I I've got a couple. So we have a couple sponsors on the podcast now, and I and I have sort of moved away from trying to just do like reads of ads in in the uh, beginning of the podcast. But uh, I've got some questions brought to you by our podcast uh, uh, partners, and uh, I'm gonna just start out with um, for Jenny. This is your first question here. So so as you know, seek outside is a big supporter of our podcast. They produce ultralight gear, particularly TP tents with wood stoves in it and super light backpacks that um, I was using on our pack rack elk hunt. Now, those tents are and, and are, are kind of a game changer for our hunts, and, and, and you've experienced that on a number of our hunts now. But the question from our friends at Seek Outside, can you tell me about a game-changing 
piece of gear that has changed how or how you hunt or um, improved your success as a hunter? Over to you, Jenny. On this trip, it was my mystery ranch day pack. That so this is <laughs> that um, it's a day pack, but has the packable frame on it. So I was able to walk around with my with my pack. That was small enough for a day pack, but it's on the bigger frame. So I could, uh, if I needed to pop some elk in there and hike off the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. And now I wouldn't normally, you know, promote another brand of sponsor when asking <laughs> yeah. a sponsor question. But the truth is, is that Mystery Ranch is the only hunting pack company that I'm aware of that produces a, a, a woman specific uh, pack frame. So uh, for, for Mickey has one as well. She's got a, a pop up. Uh, mystery ranch pack that that fits her well um, for for day for day hunting and uh, and so yeah I mean and we we have talked to Seek Outside about doing a a smaller frame and they and they're looking to do that their frames are actually adjustable enough like Mickey runs a Seek Outside uh, frame which we've kind of adjusted and modified a little bit to fit her frame but the only one off the shelf that you can buy is Misty Ranch and um, that I'm aware of and they do a good job of what they do. They're tough, tough, tough packs. So how much do you think your pack weighed on the way out with your elk? Uh, we didn't bring the scale this time, but I would say my first trip was probably 75 pounds. I'd say for sure it was when you load in a, yeah, front shoulders, some meat and guns and everything else. Yeah, for sure. And then I had the rack as well. Totally. Yeah, the big rack. That was a great shot coming out, for sure. Okay, Tommy, one another sponsor question just before we get started here. So we have um, uh, Beer, Beer, B-E-E-R-E. Beer is our uh, beer sponsor, and they, uh, and they usually donate uh, to our conservation fundraiser events. And uh, they also just make really good beer. Now, beer goes... So this question is brought to you by our friends at Beer Sponsor... From Beer, Beer... And what goes best with beer on your outdoor adventures? So tell me about something that you like to, to like, other than say like, like taking home an animal, oh what do you I enjoy? Yeah. Other, like, what do you like to forage or, or find when you're on these adventures over and above um, just shooting a, yeah, coming home with a, with an the animal. biggest, the biggest reward um, is, is just, the vision at the end of the day of sitting back at camp after you've hiked your buns off, um, however many K up and down any old hill and, um, cracking a beer at the end of the day. I mean, it doesn't have to go with anything except for some hard work. So that's it for me. It's just at the end of a day where I put in, put in some hard work and, uh, it feels like a, a just reward. That's my favorite. And the setting could be absolutely anywhere. Except in your vehicles, folks. That's illegal. <laughs> so we'll we'll probably tell you about the story about our friend Dave, and uh, we'll, we'll we were hoping we we ran out of beer on this trip, which was unusual for me. That's that's very unusual. Uh, but uh, we thought about this, and I and uh, we'll we'll have to we'll come back to that story at the end about you know praying for beer and seeing if our good friend Dave could bail us out. Um, but that's a good route. Anyways, I think get a couple of those out of the way. I got a couple more for you later in the podcast, but, um, 
Jenny, what were you? So this is um, how many years have we been hunting elk together, and or how many years have you been hunting elk? Uh, since 2016. Me too, Jenny. But but I haven't gone every year. Oh, I have. okay. So, yeah. I, so I think that this was my fourth elk attempt. No, my fifth elk attempt. Cool. And 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 up to date, give us a little bit of a. Uh, uh, progression of your learning curve for elk hunting well my story is is i would say unique because i got pretty lucky in 2016 and i had some oh i i didn't know how to elk hunt i didn't know you could call elk in i had no idea and uh i had again some lovely mentors that took me and my partner under our wing and gave us a bunch of of information and we were booting around the Kootenays together, and then they had to go back to work. I, my partner and I did not have to go back to work, and these guys had um, one elk that was they were after, and they said, you know, if we're not going to get this elk, you guys might as well give it, give it a shot. So uh, Diane handed me a power bugle <laughs> and taught me how to use it and put me on a spot. The next morning, I did a terrible, terrible elk call with this power bugle and uh the this elk walked out and my hunting partner shot him <laughs> so that was i thought elk hunting was easy <laughs> and it was uh, it was big elk it was big six by six and again new in my hunting career so we were not aware that uh what you do with these giant animals is cut them up into four pieces so we built a road and uh <laughs> dragged this entire six by six into the back of the truck after we'd field dressed it and we're pretty stoked ourselves and drove to the butcher <laughs> his antlers poking out the back of the truck and and they were pretty surprised to see us that afternoon at the butcher with this entire elk in the back of our truck but they were lovely and welcoming and uh and we hoisted it up and <laughs> off we went so that was uh that was pretty special and we were able to uh, once we got a butcher to share the uh the meat with uh, our uh, mentors, so it was a ton of fun, and they were pretty excited that someone was able to harvest that elk. There's and then yeah, and then I guess sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's just like I, I so for anybody out there that's done my hunting course and even any of my meat care workshops, so they'll, they'll have seen the picture of uh, uh, Andre trying to load this elk into the back of its the the of the of a full size dog Dodge. Uh, ram pickup truck and and making the Dodge Ram pickup truck look very very small uh, in the process. That uh, I can only imagine the parade of elk hunters you would have had doing U turns in the middle of the uh, you know the uh, the highway to kind of follow you folks back to wherever you were going to go process that elk because <laughs> that's just a, quite quite a spectacle. Pretty awesome. Anyway, so what was next? So, so then I, I think after that, we got together and did some elk hunting. So tell, tell me about how that went for you. No, I think my next trip was with Pete again in the Kootenays. And it was just Pete and I. And Pete at that point was probably late 60s. And he sent me into a spot. I walked four kilometers up into this valley. And opening day of elk season, I was there when the sun came up. And I bugled and an elk bugled back. And I was pretty stoked and a bit surprised but uh, I was up there by myself and he winded me and took off but um I did go back actually I tried to get him back I was I kept cow calling and he wouldn't come back 
And then I was hanging out in this beautiful spot and glassing. And I looked across the valley, not too far away, and there was a pretty big grizzly bear. So, uh, I mean, it was 11 o'clock anyway, so I hiked out and told P about my day and that I was going to go back the next day. And he decided that that wasn't a very good idea considering he's almost 70 and I'm four kilometers up this valley and there's a grizzly bear. So he didn't really think it was that that wise of a, of a decision to go after that elk. So we cruised around and looked for some other ones, but we didn't find any that we could, uh, that we felt comfortable harvesting together. Yeah. Old wise guy, hey? <laughs> <laughs> but I was wondering, like, well, why'd you send me up there? <laughs> like, you didn't want me to shoot an elk. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. How about you, Tommy? Uh, tell me about a little bit about your journey to become a hunter, an elk hunter, I should say. Um, uh, where did it begin? I think it, it began with, um, you know, they're, they're so close to home here in the, in the lower mainland and on the Sunshine Coast, but I'd never, I don't think I'd ever seen one locally. I was living in Vancouver at the time, and um, what really drew me into hunting them was this with the idea of an adventure and, and what we planned was to canoe some rivers, um, to get into elk habitat. And, um, so without knowing too much about how to hunt them, it was more about this, um, forging a new path or, or just looking at new, new, new country and being immersed in a new country. And, you know, with three really close friends and the memories that we'd make from through that adventure, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, so yeah, we set out on our first journey in 2016. Um, it was, I think, for the four of us, it was everyone's first time in, you know, on about half a kilometer from um, where we set off. Uh, you know, we, we scouted it. We, we found a river that we wanted to float. We each had a canoe. Um, and about half a kilometer from the kickoff point, uh, one of our boats dumped and um, the, half our crew lost most of their gear, including their guns, and that the idea of a float hunt very quickly turned into um, a road hunt. And so well, we abandoned yeah, the idea. A trip to the gun store and then a road hunt. Yeah, a trip to the gun store and then a road hunt. So, um, what's funny is that that next morning we woke up and I had parked somewhere where I thought this this felt like good elk habitat. I had done some research, and it's really easy to you know do some research online, search elk biology BC, find some documents and, and you know, you'll learn something at least, at the very least. So I, I found a spot that looked like good habitat, woke up first thing in the morning, went to pee and brushed my teeth and there was a six point elk 300 yards away from me bugling his head off and um, I couldn't call him back in but it, it, it just felt serendipitous. It's on where it's happening after the lows of the day before, flipping a canoe, um, or in good habitat, there's there's sign and there's a beautiful elk right in front of me. I wasn't able to harvest that one, and uh, just kept grinding for that first week and came really close on a, in a couple of occasions. Um, called my first elk in to about ten feet, uh, and that was that was a, such a rewarding experience. I felt like I could touch him on the nose, but it, he was. Maybe a three-point, probably a two-point, and I didn't want to take the chance. So, anyways, that was our first trip, and then uh, I was I was hooked ever since. And so I've been going um, elk hunting since 2016, and 
Dylan, you and I have had a couple along the way, and most of them, I'd say, have been float trips. So, you know, big focus on adventure, big focus on getting into different areas that most people can't access, and um, but not entirely. Like, I'm, I'm still very much interested in trying uh, elk hunting outside of the float hunt, but the float hunt is just such a it's such a draw, such a big draw. It's beautiful. You just get that little bit of separation from other folks, and uh, I, d- I did actually meet some uh, a, a crew coming back. They, they waved me down on the ferry lineup to say hello, and they were podcast listeners, and uh, they actually were coming back from very close to where we were, and they had a successful hunt. They, they got a couple elk, and um, they were excited to talk about their hunt. So I got a I got I did a, got a little research from them and. Turns out we were all kind of close together, and but they were they were hunting from the roads, and and they were having a fair bit of action. So I think, yeah. All that said, I think there's some. Uh, I think you could probably be even more successful. I think you limit yourself by only doing, you know, if you if you're kind of limiting yourself to float float hunts, then you're really shrinking down the possibilities. Having said that, I kind of just enjoy those moments when we're you know packed up and floating down the river and going around the next bend to see what's there and it's a uh, pretty exciting. So that all said, so this, with this actually, with this exact question in mind, like there's this, there's a couple factors, um, that, uh, uh, that I'm thinking about when, uh, like planning a hunt. And one is like, I, I want to, uh, try to like, number one, find a place that has good elk habitat. The elk, there's good quality elk habitat. Number two, I would say, is to have a presence of elk in that habitat. And then three is huntability. Like, can you actually hunt it? And that's changing for me quite a bit because my perspective of huntability hunt, huntability has changed over time. And that's something that we can talk about, Tommy, because your concept of huntability is different than my concept of huntability. So we can chat about that. And then the last one, probably it's just like hunting pressure because hunting pressure, particularly with elk has such an influence because elk who have been hunted act differently. And if you're in an area where there's elk, um, other elk hunters, then there is the chance that they're going to have either call and distract the elk you're trying to focus on. Heck, you might even be calling in elk hunters thinking you're calling in a bull elk and all that has an impact. So those things are, are kind of what... It, what I'm thinking about going into a hunt like this. And as we're driving to our elk spot, the things that we're probably considering the most are, are we in good elk habitat? Will there be elk there? And can I get away from other elk hunters on, on this adventure? So Jenny, what, uh, uh, when thinking about those factors, like what is your priority for, like, as we were, as, as we were going up and having this discussion, like what, what are you thinking about or what was your what was your interest or motivation on this hunt? It was definitely separating ourselves from other elk hunters, but also like you said, that huntability. So I'd like to be able to walk through the bush without making a whole whack of noise. Um, and like I said, I am pretty beat up. I walked through some te- steep terrain and did wipe out, which was uh bit of a challenge for that one day uh making it back to the river i was a bit bruised and battered and uh and then some clear corridors as well too because i am hunting with a rifle so 
I'd like to be able to see about 80 to 100 yards and not have too much brush in front of me. Yeah, for sure. So that to me is like ideal kind of number one, having those view corridors. So you have shooting corridors, also view corridors. Those are things that I typically look for when hunting, but I I don't think they're essential. And maybe tell me like, you know, in your experience, like where have you had success with hunting? Like what, what is your hunting zone look like when you have success? Um, as I said, like uh, we started off on by focusing on rivers. So the first couple of elk hunts, save for the the mess up on the first trip, I, I've spent like learning habit, digging into habitat that is effectively riparian habitat or or edge habitat along the rivers that we've been floating. So. These are pretty low, low-lying areas and um, not not very hilly. Before I ever started in hunting elk, it was like, okay, I've got to find the hills and got a glass and all that stuff. But um, once I got into these areas where we were on these rivers that we were focused on, there was nothing like that. So it was like, okay, we're here. Let's 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 just you know scout. Let's beat the bush and trudge around and look for sign and activity and all that stuff. So. My first couple of years elk hunting, I spent like pushing through rosehip bush and blowdown and all I don't know stuff that was effectively like upwards of ten to maybe fifteen feet uh, above the river level maximum. Like there was there's no viewing lanes. It's thick as hell. Um, but what I quickly learned was that's where uh, we were finding beds. We were finding tons of sign. We were bumping elk every day. And, um, so because there was elk in these pockets, rather large pockets, um, that's where I started to hunt and focus all my energy. And it was really the only area to to focus the energy, um, on a couple of the rivers that we we were focused on for those first few years. So uh, yeah, riparian habitat, but, but like, if you're gonna, the, the viewing corridors are at best like 30, 40 yards, um, and, and the shooting lanes are few and far between. Um, so you have to pick and choose your battles. The other con about hunting in these areas is the, is the wind is swirly. You may have a wind that's, that's like a going down river. Um, and you're experiencing that when you're on the river, as soon as you pop in the bush, it completely changes, um, depending on so many variables. But yeah, so wind isn't in your favor. There are no viewing lanes. Um, no shooting lanes and there are tons of elk in there. So I just continue to grind and grind and grind and, and, and just go here, listen for elk and make my way to them and play the wind as best as I can and have had success doing that. But very, yeah. very, very challenging, like messing up more than, than success by, by far. So what was interesting for me, uh, like, on this hunt, like so, we went floated down the river, and uh, and and I'm attracted to that that sort of more mature poplar grows, or if you can find it, you know, more mature spruce forests, and where you have a little bit of, uh, um, uh, you have a little bit of like, uh, well, open timber and view corridors, and uh, I'm just uh, muting you there, Vladdy, because uh, you're um. You got a lot of feedback behind you there, so just I'll, I'll let you off when, um, when we can. Uh, 
And so anyway, so I'm looking for like mature timber or as mature timber as I could find. And then, um, and then with that, I'm going to, uh, have to climb up the mountain a little, like up the side hills, get off the river body, get out of the riparian area to, to where I find that more mature, uh, timber and where it opens up a little bit and I can see a little bit and then I feel, oh, okay, this, this looks like what I've experienced for good elk hunting or good habitat. And where I've hunted, I've sort of sought out these sort of more open elk groves and, and I've had success there. But I, I think over time, what I'm realizing now is that I might've been like, have very good huntability, but relatively low elk density in the areas I'm hunting. And so when we would I'd check in with Tommy at the end of the day, like I was like, Tommy, I, I had, I hadn't seen, I hadn't hardly seen a track, let alone a poop on these side hills. And I'm thinking this elk, this place is elk proof and nothing's happening. And I get back to camp and Tommy, you're like, oh man, I saw like, I saw you know, six different elk and I, I bumped a bunch more and I had a big bugle party that was going on. And like, I'm like, how is that possible? Like, there's no elk here. Like, there's no elk at all here. And yet you're having an entirely different experience. And we're like literally 400 meters apart. So that, that, that to me is sort of changing my perspective on like, do you necessarily have to hunt a high, like for me hunting, like there's that huntability factor we talked about versus the presence of elk. Well, you need elk there to even, it could be as huntable as can be, but if there's no elk there, it's, it's not really worth hunting. So, so. So that's something I, I was I was really learning from you on this trip is your comfort in being in those, what I would call like kind of challenging spots, and yet you're 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 turning up elk. Yeah, yeah, I I I think they feel safe in there. I think that given all the blowdown, given the shrub-like nature, um, not a lot of mature forest. Everything is. 30, 40 feet tall, you're, you're crawling over and under things. It's, it's that a, a lot of people don't venture into these spots and I think they just ultimately feel safe in there. Um, but it could be region specific too. Well, relative to where you, where you typically enjoy hunting elk and have had that success in the more open zones. Well, and it, it holds true for all, like, you know, as I've gotten to be a better whitetail hunter and a better uh, mule deer hunter, like, the spots that I kill mule deer are in tricky, ugly pieces of country. The spots that I kill, you know, like mature white tails, it's, it's the trickier it is, the more comfortable they feel and harder to hunt, less pressure. Like it all kind of points back to it. So then, so then the question is like, how do you, how do you, how do you actually be successful in these like super thick, high density elk area and still manage to, to kill an elk? And, and that's sort of the part that I haven't quite figured out. Um, we talk about it a lot in with Mike Bridger also hunts these very thick, uncomfortable spots. And we speak to it a little bit in the online course, but you know, ultimately it's, it's not, it's not easy. Jenny, what, so did your perspective change at all, Jenny, on this trip as to like where you might hunt elk or, or whether it was respect to that huntability versus presence of elk? Oh, uh, no, not really. Like, it's, I mean, I like to to have my view corridors for sure. I just find it a bit more interesting hanging out in those kind of spots. But, I mean, I remember the day that you and you called in of, he was just a five by five and we needed a six. But that elk that you called in through the thick to Mark and I that was probably came within seven, seven meters of us. 
So if you've got the, the ability to do that and play the wind correctly, you can call them in real close. So you, maybe you don't need those those corridors that, that I'm usually after. Yeah, totally. The, the other Well, so you pick the spot on this hunt to stop and call. Tell me about that spot and why you stopped there. And tell me about everywhere around there. Well, that was the, that was their best, their best terrain that so far that trip I found. You and I started hunting together in the morning and uh, we walked in and off the river and we found a, we were quite pleased actually. We were discussing the fact that we weren't, uh, we weren't bushwhacking as hard as we'd been and um, it was easier walking. We could see a little bit further, but even when we were setting up, it wasn't, I mean, we had... There's still a bunch of bush and we had about 40 yards of view corridor and, uh, and we did some calling or you were calling for me and we had a good setup, but nothing came in. So we decided to split up and then I went further up and farther down river and I got to a spot and I was like, Oh, this is, this is beauty spot. This is, I can actually see those. I think there's enough cover where they're going to feel comfortable, but I like, and then I had all like a cliff on one side, a really steep hill on the other. So I set up on the corner of that and, uh, and just had felt good about it because, because I, because I had about 80 yards of clear brush and then it got really thick. So I thought I might have a better opportunity there. Yeah. That was by far the most, like, it was quite a beautiful spot where you ended up choosing to invest that hunt um, let's go back a little bit to my original question before we kind of get into what eventually happened in that situation. But the, um, so on our way up, we were really contemplating, like, do we go with somewhere that we know is like highly huntable, presence of elk, good habitat, or do we go explore something new? And we, we kind of struggle with that question because we have our regular spots that we feel comfortable and we, we both had success. All three of us have had success in different spots that we had access to, um, on this, on, as we were heading, heading into camp. Um, you know, maybe Tommy, like what, why did we sort of land on sort of exploring this new spot and, and what was this sort of that process for getting the, to finally deciding that we were going to do this one hunt that we were which was exploratory um three-point season so the odds of calling in uh, a legal bull were higher i think that was probably the main factor um and then second to that i'd say water levels were looking great for us and not great for jet boaters and maybe people feeling less rebellious than we were. Um, so the pack raft thing worked in our favor, and we knew that we weren't going to see too many people on the river, again, especially jet footers. And then, I mean, there's a few other reasons, but proximity to home and not having to drive uh, a whole bunch more was really nice. Yeah, so a little bit shorter distance to this zone. But ultimately, I think that the, the decision we had was like, we felt pretty good about, the, like, so typically we hunt. So in BC, there's there's a there's a few ways that we manage elk in BC. There's a, for Roosevelt elk, see on the Sunshine Coast and Vancouver Island, we manage them under a limited entry hunting authorization. So that means that um, for if you want to hunt Roosevelt elk, you got to put in for the lottery. If you get drawn, you got an amazing opportunity. 
So for the Sunshine Coast where we live, and uh, that that's how you the only way you could really hunt elk um, is is through that lottery process. Now, if you were to uh, go to say the Peace Country, there is a fairly liberal three point season in and around the agriculture areas in the Peace Country. Part of the management effort. I mean, the elk are doing relatively well there. They do very well because they 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 um, are are benefiting from the agriculture in the area. And of course, there's a certain amount of impact that happens uh, to the farmers. So that they're, I mean, with a herd of elk eating your alfalfa, I mean, it has an impact. So there's an there farmers advocate for reducing the herd size. So there's a there's a late season cow hunt as well as the um, three point season just, just allows for more elk to get basically killed, uh, in that peace country. And then I believe it's limited to that part of the world. And then the, there's a six point season, which is kind of consistent with some areas of the North, um, the Kachika and so in the Kootenays and throughout the Okanagan, there's a six point season, which, which is, a what I mostly hunted, uh, it grow, you know, growing up and hunting, which is, you know, creates an opportunity for lots of people to hunt elk, but also because it's a six point, I mean, very few, relatively few elk get killed every year because of that, that six point season. I think, I think it's around, if I can guess, like maybe a thousand elk get killed. They used to get killed in the Kootenays and a thousand elk in the rest of the province. And most of those are six point bulls. Um, at least the ones that are killed in the Kootenays probably, a bit of a mix for the ones that are killed up in the piece and probably not too many elk get killed in the Okanagan and, and through those, those smaller, smaller herds. So, um, that said, uh, I think the pros of hunting the six point season is it there's less hunting pressure, uh, and the elk typically get a chance to get more mature and bigger. And, um, and you can have a lot of interactions with elk, which is what I really like. You get a lot of elk interactions, um, and that's a benefit. Whereas, you know, the, the three point season, the elk are, you're going to have probably, you know, not, not as likely to see a mature elk and, and they probably have felt a little bit more hunting pressure. So with, with that, like, you know, when we got out there, like, I think we definitely noticed, I mean, I noticed that I don't think I heard an elk bugle on this trip yet. I, I saw, I heard, I heard just that one that Jenny was bugling at, um, bugle a couple times and maybe one that I was in on there bugled once, but like pretty, pretty quiet for a six days of hunting. And I suspect that's because of hunting pressure that they're experiencing with more hunters taking advantage of the three point season. That's dumb. I definitely noticed, um, Jenny, what was your experience? This is probably your first time hunting the three point season and do you have any thoughts on, would you go, would you hunt, having hunted both the six point seasons in the North and now in, in the Kootenays and hunting the three point season, do, do you have any reflections on what you do next time? 100% because I hunt for meat and not for the rack. So I love three point season. I mean, we've hunted six point seasons together before and I find it quite stressful to be honest with you. Um, and I think I've turned down, definitely turned down, I would say one six point that I was, wasn't a hundred percent sure. So he got away, but I do really enjoy the 
the three-point season, especially when I saw this guy, I didn't need to count. I knew he was I knew he was bigger than the three. I didn't know if he was six or not, but at that point, it, it didn't matter. So I'm uh, I'm all about three-point season. Yeah, it's way easier to count to three than all the way to six, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess by the time I'm at five, I'm a bit, a bit nervous. And, yeah. Totally. Let's talk pack rafting for a bit. Jenny, you're you're sold on pack rafting. This is something we've invested together on this adventure, but we've been bringing Tommy along. Um, Tommy, tell me about, well, Flexens, is this is your first pack rafting adventure? Are you, are you, are you going to run out and buy a pack raft after this experience? Yes. I'm sold. And, Woohoo! Great. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it, again, another game changer. Um, the ability to clear shallow water, um, how agile you are relative to a larger raft. Like historically, we have a raft that we share across our group. We have a couple rafts that we share, and it's uh, it's not agile. It's um, there are pros and cons for sure to using either one, but um, I, I really want to mess around with the pack raft a bit more and beyond hunting as well. Like it's just super fun to scoot around across rivers, even even for convenience. Like um, throw it in your pack, bring it bring it across a mountain dump in another river across another, you know, it's just, you can be more agile as agile as the pack raft is too on its own, but I love it. It was great. All right. And so we were, we were lucky because our, our friends at Stakeen pack raft, Kyle, uh, lent us. So both Jenny and I have invested in the foragers from, um, from alpaca raft and, and they're, they're awesome far as their size and i mean they're just an amazing piece of equipment we've talked about that lots on our podcast but um but kyle who's a vancouver-based uh uh business and it's the keen pack rafts has been trying to build pack rafts uh out of uh out of bc and kind of finding this way um i think they're designed but they're they're built in uh overseas but they're uh yeah, I mean, it's great that they have access to someone that's building them and wants to build out their brand and and gets they well he reached out to me early on to kind of get some perspectives, a cutting perspectives on on the raft. So we we've been testing them out and providing feedback. Um, how how did you find the raft? So he he lent you an orca, I believe, and uh, slightly smaller than the forager. Um, and how did it work for for your experience on, on this river? Um. So I. First things first, I'd opt for a larger one just for the sake of the convenience of being able to put larger pieces of gear into the boat. So the concept, for those that don't know you, uh, you can stuff your boat, like the tubes, um, with your gear, um, which is the choice method. And then you fill air around it when you, you inflate air around it. Um, and this, and the, the zip on, on this specific boat was a little bit too small for some pieces of gear, which I then put on the top of my boat, which if we were on a class three or four river, it would have been a little bit more hairy. It would have got more wet, blah, blah, blah. Um, but beyond that, uh, super bomber. I felt the, I was skeptical about the durability of these, um, not specifically the stickeen rafts, but just pack rafts in general, um, went over some, uh, I'd say like not sharp rocks, but coarse, coarse rocks. We were like bumping over shelves and, um, and you know, I was like, I was a little bit like 
those that's where I was nervous. Is like if I if I hit a stick or if I go over some coarse stones or rocks, and am I going to tear the the material? Um, and no, it was it was that looked phenomenal. When I pulled it out and washed the bow after the trip, that looked brand new. Um, it withstood that that test, and yeah, ultimately just I felt so nimble. Um, as I mentioned earlier, just the agility to be able to to move around rocks and maneuver. Um, it's just night and day relative to big raft experience or um, river rafts. Totally, it was fun to see you actually. Kind of, I could. It was fun to start a trip with you to be on the river for five or six days and watch you develop confidence and skills in the paddling. It was it was cool. It was really cool to watch. Um, yeah, no, they, I like I like what they're trying to do. I think they're trying to like make them a bit more affordable, essentially. Um, as much as I I do like the forager and the experience or my experience that I've had with alpaca, probably the biggest challenge is that you know being up here in Canada, we have to send our boats back to the states to get repaired, and they have we, I've rep- I've repaired the zipper on my my packraft, and I think Jenny, what did you had a repair done on your boat? What, what was it? The floor, it's a separate piece, and uh, it blew out. So I sent it back and, uh, and they sent me a new one. Yeah. Perfect. So, so with that, like just having to send the equipment, I had to send my boat back to the States or is, I think where, where uh, Stakeen may have an edge is, is being able to build a more affordable boat as well as servicing them here in, in Canada. But, uh, I think that, you know, as far as overall, um, I think there's still a little ways to go before they can. Um, build a boat that's you know it does everything that, that the uh, the alpacas can do but definitely worth a look if you're in the market for um for an affordable pack craft um anyways Kyle's a great guy and he's the kind of person that'll respond to you if you want to ask a few questions about pack crafts and have a look at them and try them out he'll he'll hook you up for sure um so Jenny this was the first time um so we put a whole elk in an alpaca forager. Tell me about that experience. How did it feel? Felt great. It was, uh, I had my camp, like Tommy said, in the sides of my boat. So in where is actually inside the boat. So I've got a couple um, of dry bags and I've got my tent and all my sleeping gear, my sleeping bag, all my food. I would put my gun inside, inside my boat and uh, zip it up and then blow it up. And then on top we had, uh, I had the entire elk. So in these uh, Kunlu game bags that we tested out, that were awesome. And then uh, the rack tied to the front. And it, I mean, we, again, it was a class two river, but I think I would have felt pretty good in class three, for sure. So it was, it was awesome to know that the the rafts can do that, and it felt tight and safe. Yeah, I'm surprised they almost like perform better with a bit of weight in them. Like they, they sink a little bit deeper and you, they track a little bit better. Yeah, they look good. It was nice. I mean, we did just barely have enough water in this river. But I mean, in previous pack raft trips, we've been dragging our boats down the river. And uh, I'm glad I didn't have to do that because it was uh, it was a heavy boat. Yeah, well, it would have helped you out. You could have thrown a couple <laughs> quarters in my boat if you had to. And, and Jenny, those are Eat Wild game bags that you... Yeah. Yeah that we were trying out um, with uh, our friends at Huto um, who make ultralight game bags uh, did a run with uh, the eat wild branding on them. So it's been kind of fun to have our own set of game bags, but uh, 
yeah, this has been like maybe the fourth animal now that we've had in those game bags. I'm pretty happy. Like they're, I, I, I've been a, I, I've been in, I just was told since birth, like you have to put your game in cotton game bags. And I've sort of this, the concept of synthetic game bags just seemed like, oh, you can't do that. It has to be cotton. I don't know why. Like it just like imprints on you at a young age and you think that that's the way it's got to be. But um, yeah, that seems to be, uh, they, they're, they seem to be great. Allow, allow for the, for the, um, the meat to breathe and they're super tough and they're nice and bright. So you can see them when they're laying on the beach and you're trying to find them the next day. And yeah, it's great. All right. So, Okay, so anyway, so the, the logistics of this whole trip was that we basically had to organize a a, a shuttle, and uh, we got dropped off on a section of river and uh, where the where the highway crosses the river, and then we were going to drift down. I think we had sort of psyched out about forty or forty or fifty kilometers of river that we were going to cover on this trip, and uh, the first maybe ten kilometers is sort of through an area that is relatively impacted by ATVs and other access. And then we had a bit of a stretch there for about, you know, 15 or 20 K that was relatively unimpacted by access. And then again, it picks up again as we got further down river and closer to our pullout. Uh, so we get down river, um, about, uh, Oh, we just get, yeah, we get kind of just past where the ATV access is and we, and we're kind of running out of light. So we set up our first, our first hunt. And, uh, that was a pretty good spot. I think, I think, I think, Tom, you got into elk there, right? On that first, in that from that first camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? Day two or day three? And you day were ready two. to leave. You hadn't, you hadn't heard an elk, seen any sign. You were just like, I'm done. Let's get out of here. I'm like, yeah, wait never, a second. Never there let was... me go, Jenny. Don't ever <laughs> let me do this ever again. So, <laughs> uh, suffering from this. So, uh, so my friend, um, my hunting partner, Jeff Horsfield. Uh, He's been sort of sucked into going moose hunting in our, our um, where my family's hunted moose for like it's I think it's eighty years. Like they, my grandfather, my father, and now me have hunted moose in the same spot. But it's a tough piece of country, full of grizzly bears. It's cold, wet, and miserable all the time. And there are moose there, so you have you're, you've just enough success to suck you back into going again. And so you know, Jeff, who's a very enthusiastic, you know, hunter and adventurer, is you know. You know, but he likes hunting beautiful places, and and where we've hunted elk, uh, moose our whole lives is not a beautiful place, and uh, and so, but he's got sucked in a couple days ago on this hunt because he likes hanging out with my my dad, and 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 um and in the end, every time they go hunting there, they, they end up killing a moose, but he comes back because his spirit is beaten down by the by the place, by the weather, the grizzly bears, the thick country, the in it like unhuntable terrain, and. uh and he says to me, he says, Dylan, whatever you do, if I ever speak the words of the moose hunting spot again, just tell me not to go. Don't, don't let me ever go again. And, um, so I remember that. And, uh, he actually, you know, what's funny is this year he was going to go back there. Uh, Pete had a tag to go there for some re- reason. And he was like, I was like, Jeff, I have to, I'm doing an intervention. You've told me not to let you ever go back there again. You'll be miserable. So I was feeling like Jeff on this trip. I was like, oh man, don't. Oh man, don't, I don't want to go. I just don't, why did I do this? Don't ever let me do this again. Stray from hunting in nice places only to hunt in this. Like, so for context, I mean, like we're on a river, river's beautiful, but like that these, these, this, um, uh, 
riparian area that Tommy's talking about. It's just like thick, and it's just like head high, rose hips and willow, and there's there's all there's also some devil's club thrown in there. Like you can't walk without just getting like beat to shit, and you can't see anything. And eventually, you look at these little pockets of you know sort of niceness where you can see like twenty feet, and then it closes down. It's just horrible. So I was feeling like there's no animals here, and it's unhuntable. And there's ATVs sort of driving around. And next thing you know, there's some dude floating down the river to our camp. I'm like, okay, I, I like, you know what? There's people, every, everything is going to hell here. I'm getting bummed out. And uh turns out this guy that, that roll is just this old timer floats by us and he's in a rubber raft and going down river. This, this is Dave. And Dave's maybe a regular on the river. And he says we're at a good spot and that he's had success hunting here. And he's going to go down river a couple kilometers and stay out of our way. And uh, we let him know that we're going to float by him eventually, maybe in the next day or so, and we'll give him some space. Um, we have a nice chat and carries on. So, so maybe Jenny. So next day we we get packed up. We're heading down river, and Jenny, maybe you could help us with the story a little bit. Like, so you you tell us what so we're meandering down river, and then what do you what what happens for you? We're meandering down river, and I'm in the lead, and come around a corner and I look up and I see two cows and two calves and uh, I turn around and you guys aren't really paying attention and I'm holding on my hand trying to get you to stop and not make any noise and then I turn back and and look at the cows and I see the bull walk out of the out of the woods onto the river behind the cows and I'm pretty fired up so I'm uh by this time you guys you guys are tuned into the fact that I've seen something (laughs) and uh and I'm pretty sure you spotted yourselves after that well, I actually, I, we, so because you were, you were on the far side of the river, uh, well, the right-hand side of the river, I'll say, and then we were kind of floating down to the left-hand side. We had the benefit of, well, once we kind of clued in, you were like sort of waving your hands and telling us to stop. We were actually kind of behind a, a bit of a, a gravel bar and we couldn't actually see the animals. I, I could just see the cows, couldn't see the bull yet. And uh, we were able to bail out with some cover and kind of get organized. And now you didn't have a, so why didn't you shoot the elk? Why didn't I shoot the elk? Because my gun was in my boat. Oh, okay. Because yeah. the last thing we'd ever expect is to see a herd of elk standing in the middle of the river at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> what do you mean and by they're... in your boat, Jenny? Can you clarify? It was in like inside my boat. So in order to get my gun, I would have to, well, I would have to pull over and make sure that I, my boat wasn't going to float away once I deflated it. So it was, I wasn't, I didn't have quick access to my gun. But both, both Tommy and I had our firearms sort of strapped to the boat, relatively accessible. And so these elk are, I think, I think Tommy, you ranged them. How far were they? When we, when I first ranged, he was like 440, 460 something. Yeah. And, and so we were able to actually kind of like, we had our, I, I kind of bailed out in the boat. We're, we're wearing our wet, our dry suit so we can kind of walk in the river. It doesn't make a difference. So I'm like, I sort of walking towards the elk and pushing my boat ahead of me. I freed up my firearm now, so I'm semi-organized to potentially shoot. But I get to about 400 yards and all the elk kind of got their head up now and they appear to be looking at us and the wind is blowing straight at them. So I'm feeling like okay, that's it. Like we're and and if we go any further, we're gonna we're not, we're gonna lose the advantage, um, the advantage of the sandbar or this gravel bar that kind of provides a bit of cover from where we are. 
Um, so I think we're obscured still, but they can sort of sense something's happening. So we kind of, you and I kind of cut a coordinate. Like, you know, to, you've got a firearm now. So it's, I, I'm feeling good about like, I'm not a long range shooter, but I'm thinking if I'm laying over to like top of my raft and my gun is bedded on my pack and my raft and my raft is out of the water. So it's not bouncing around. And if you're set up to shoot and this elk is kind of basically on a gravel bar in the middle of a river, I'm feeling good about, you know, if the two of us are organized to shoot at this thing, that this is a good play. So you get kind of organized. I see you kind of clamber up. So what's going on for you? Actually, I'll just ask you that. What's your. So I can't see over the over the gravel bar with my scope. Um, so I need to have some clearance. I'm, so I'm crawling on my belly. My bino harness is like buried into the rocks and it's it's challenging. So I have to take my bino harness off. I need to find a perch, something to rest my gun on so that I could clear the rocks if I was to shoot. So it's taking me a couple minutes. Well, it feels like a couple minutes to set up. It was probably like 20 seconds. but And then I did one final range um, on the elk too. And like Dylan said, the all of them are staring in our direction, all five of the elk, the calves, the cows, the bull. And then I get set up and I look over at you. You give me a little nod. You're feeling good. I let you know that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. So until then, then I, I'm like, I'm like kind of cursing you. Cause I, cause I, I got kind of through my fire over my wrath and it was surprisingly perfectly bedded. And I put the crosshairs on the elk and it's like solid. And I'm like, I'm ready. And I'm looking up at you like, oh, he's fussing still. Oh, he's fussing still. Oh, come on, Tommy. And I, and I kind of having this panic. And then I'm like, wait a second. Like, stop panicking. The elk's still standing in the middle of the river. Yeah. It, I'd still like this elk to take three steps up onto the sandbar. And then once he's up there, well, like, you know, that's 100% good shot. Let Tommy settle in. I'm trying to tell myself all this. And it's 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 hard to do in the moment. It's surprisingly hard to do in the moment. Um, that said, I look over. We nod at each other. We're both settled. I get back over my rifle. I'm uh, feeling good. Crosshairs on the elk. And I'm just waiting for him to take one step up so I could just see 100% of his body over this, this this gravel bar that we're looking over top of. And he takes that step up. I got a full broadside shot. I squeeze the trigger. Nothing happens. And my safety's on. Okay. That's good. I like this. It's actually kind of a good thing because it's like you get that little bit of jitter out of you and you get to reset. And so I throw the safety off, settle back in. And our, and our plan at some point we communicated to me that you're going to, I'm going to shoot first and then you're going to back me up if it doesn't look good. And um, I settle back over the elk. Bang. The elk takes three steps and then like crashes. And uh, I look up at you guys and you're both like, What's your reaction, Jenny? Well, I, I'm like, woohoo, dead elk. Well done, Dylan. Nice shot. And I was like, wow, I don't, your gun was, wasn't that loud. It was, it, was, it was a bit interesting. I was like, I, I mean, it was, didn't have my ears covered or anything, but it didn't go bang like I expected it to. What do you think, Tommy? Same as Jenny. Sniper. What the, <laughs> oh, what, what a shot. Like, Three steps and over, beautiful laying there. I didn't have to do a follow-up shot. Um, incredible. And I yep. got this look from both of you as though, like, I might have shot. 
that I, I was choose. sort of hoping it was you because <laughs> it wasn't me, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so i mean i obviously knew that it wasn't me right away <laughs> and in my mind i was like unbelievable like the one spot we thought we had to hunt without atv access an atv or something got down here and shot this out but what just happened to walk out and uh anyway so we kind of gather ourselves up and we popped back in our house and drifted around the corner to have a look at this elk and see who got it. And there's Dave, our, our you know, rubber boat, Dave you know, running down the bank towards his elk. And, and, uh, we holler at him and, and, uh, wave him over. He actually, he was actually kind of running down the, I think he kind of lost sight of it or something. Cause, um, he was kind of looking in the wrong spot for his elk, but we found his elk cause we were on the river and it was in the river. So, um, anyways, we got, we, got to get to know Dave a whole lot better. <laughs> so, so Dave, so Dave, so Dave says, he's like, he, he gets up to us. He's like, Oh dear, I feel badly. I feel so badly. I think, I think I shot your elk. I think I shot your elk. I feel badly. And, and of course, and what, what was your take on it, Jenny? I just, I mean, of all the effort and all the discussion on the drive up there of trying to get away from hunting pressure, and we see one guy on this whole trip, and he shoots this elk literally seconds before you did, after you tried to pull the trigger but the safety was on, it was, it was unbelievable. The timing of it was, was shocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally. It was it was unbelievable, but it was it's nice elk, and uh, it's halfway in the water, and we had a bit of a perplexing moment because as we got to know Dave, it turns out he's a cancer survivor, and I don't know how old he is, but he's a bit bit of an older dude, and um, and to think and like this elk is like you know in two feet, not ah, foot of water or something like that, and thinking things through about like how Dave's going to deal with this. Um, what were your thoughts, Tommy? I, after seeing him, getting to know him. Okay, first of all, actually, I think I left my my jaw at, at the shooting point. I was just, I was flabbergasted. Obviously, that was surreal, surreal. Um, I'd never heard a story like that. And now we we were a part of a story like that. Someone took an elk under our noses literally micro milliseconds you know before you pulled the trigger the second time. anyhow um when i saw the guy and i met him because i didn't meet him the day before the two days before or whatever it was just jenny and, and dylan that had met him and i just had an image in my head of this old timer on the river and i was thinking oh badass what a badass that's awesome alone in a raft and and then you told me that he was in jeans i was like awesome that's so cool <laughs> and then i see the guy he's in jeans and like runners, <laughs> jeans and like Adidas tennis shoes, uh, comes over to find this elk um, that that we're standing above before him, and I was just, I was so happy for the dude. I didn't feel any kind of, I didn't feel any kind of jealousy or any, any want for the animal that that might have been ours. You know, if we had, if if we if everything worked out in, in another way, we had shot it well and all that stuff, but. I was just so happy for the dude. That's how I was feeling. I was like honored to be a part of that experience in a, in a weird way. Um, and, and to see the, 
the look on his face and I don't know, it was a special moment. That's like that's something that we'll be telling we'll be tell well, we don't have kids and I don't think we'll have grandchildren either, but you know, it's the kind of thing that <laughs> it's one of those those hunting fun. hunting stories that kinda of gets carried on forever. Um but yeah, it was one of those moments and I was happy for the guy. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was I was yeah, there was so as as it, so I had assumed that he was hunting these elk and he was waiting on them and, and they just kind of present. Like, I actually thought because the elk kind of took two steps up on the bank that he was just waiting for the, the, those elk to come up on the bank to a better spot to shoot them. And it just happened to coincide with the timing of us not pulling the trigger. Um, but as it turns out, as we, we got to know Dave pretty good because after we sort of sized up the situation, we figured we had to kind of jump in there and give him a hand. And, and um, so we, we got, you know, we, we were equipped to be in the water. And so we, the sort of the three of us cut his elk up and threw it in the boat for him. And, uh, and, uh, and after getting to know Dave, after doing this for a couple hours, it turns out he did sort of, I assumed that he hadn't seen us. Like I assumed that we had just kind of, he had, he had kind of, but I, after having, Hello with him for a while. He, he was like, well, I, I saw you guys there come around the corner. I got up from my nap and I saw you guys come around the corner and I could see you sort of rattling around there. And, and no doubt that's us rattling around, getting set to shoot it. And then I he looked over his shoulder and saw there was an elk a hundred yards from him. So he shot it. And, uh, and he was feeling, I, I, I and, and see Dave, I, Dave's quite, I think quite a religious guy. So I think he kind of felt like he'd done something really bad, uh, in, in the eyes of, well, maybe the Lord or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me he set up his tent. He was camped right there where the elk was crossing. So I figured he must have known something and the elk showed up. So I didn't think too much of it, but he was feeling pretty guilty about the whole thing. So he ends up giving us, he's like, well, I feel real bad. And, and, and then I, I, uh, um, figured I would, you know, I, I feel like I shot your elk or, uh, uh, but here, here's, here's a, here's a spot around the corner here, which I think is a real good elk spot. And I think you should go there. There's a couple of licks here and, so he gave us his his favorite spot to go down and hunt uh, as a consolation for what he thought was shooting her elk, um, which I thought was pretty pretty kind of. <laughs> but uh, turns out he was quite a quite a guy though, because we ended up sort of, I, I was texting back and forth with him the whole time that we were on the river there, and he was sharing other spots, and that uh, was pretty fun. So. Yeah, the assumption that he was just like a legend as we came around that corner saw his tent perched in the trees like he wasn't even on the bank of the river he was up up in the trees a little bit and i had this vision like this image of him sitting in front of his tent waiting for the elk to come out where they did and then he shot it it's like this this man knows the river so well he knows where they're gonna cross at 3 p.m (laughs) (laughs) i think he's just a moose hunter they just like you know he just got to make himself available for some elk to cross the river and got his elk so anyway it was so fun it was really cool and i think you know to be honest i I think you know being able to be there in that moment and help the guy out because it was a tricky elk to deal with and that was cool no i was it was a cool experience and i think we got well anyways so we go down river we uh half expect to find dave hung up halfway down the river you know (laughs) with this raft and we're gonna not only cut it not only cut his elk up, pack his elk down the river, but fortunately, he somehow he was a tough bugger because he got down that river. He must have dragged his raft a bunch, and then he finally put in a call to his uh, 
family there that where they could get down to grab them uh down river a bit there was an atv trail came down the river so when we actually bumped into him again he was just hauling out uh uh his boat and his elk with a couple of atvs with his son-in-law and his wife and then um and it happened to be also the spot that he thought we should be spending the rest of our hunt so he kind of kind of told us how to get up on this hill and gave us his gave us the the skinny on it and uh so we set out was it so Jenny take us so what was it the next day or do we just spend the one day there or or, or how to go for us we spent two nights there but it wasn't it wasn't the next day cuz we hunted two days i think in in that was it camp 3 gosh i don't know so it was i think it was about i think it was two or three days later yeah we might so have yeah, spent three nights there actually we had a recovery no, night after after um, the success. Well, we had a, we had a, we yeah we had we had the night there after the big paddle. I'm pretty sure we anyway. So Jenny, so we 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 started out that hunt together the next day, I think, and we yeah. climbed up on the hill and and kind of sort of what found what was better than better than most habitat and kind of called in a couple of spots. But you know, one of the things we'd figured out by this point on this hunt is that. That like these elk are not super, they're not super bugly. The elk that we have sort of been able to see have come in quietly. And so, and without hearing any bugling first thing in the morning, and when you'd hopefully hear bugling, sort of the hope after that is it's just kind of set up somewhere that's sort of elky, that you've got those view corridors that's near good to elk habitat, high density elk habitat. And, um, and call and hope that something kind of pokes his head in, kind of comes and checks you out. And um, I think we started out together, and then you, we, we thinking that you know, there's not much point in two of us calling if there's nobody calling back at us. So we separated, and and um, I headed south, and 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 then you wandered off. So so tell us what your hunt from from there when we split up. Well, like I said earlier, I I. Uh... I wandered off down the river and uh, and wanted to go up to the next bench. So I was pretty excited that it was not as thick as it had been in the previous couple of days. And I was able to make my way up into this really beautiful spot. Um, and it was beautiful from so many reasons. First of all, it was great elk habitat with some nice view corridors. Second, the sun was just coming over um, over the, the mountain. And uh, and it was, it, it was a cooler morning for sure so i was ready to, to have some sun sun on my back and then there was this uh fallen tree that was sitting about a foot and a half off the ground that i could i could uh, take a seat on so i was happy in, in all fronts and uh i was lucky enough that um you were hunting with a uh, multiple elk calls because i had uh, lost my hoochie mama about four days earlier i'm pretty sure i know where it was but it was so steep where i was hunting there's no way i was going back down to get it so, um, so you, that, I guess the morning before you, um, put out all your, your elk calls, I think there's about five or six that I was able to choose from. And, uh, so I went with what I know and went out with the hoochie mama. And again, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't bugling a lot because they weren't bugling back. So, and just try a couple cow calls and see what happens. And, and I did that and, uh, a couple cow calls, nothing hanging out couple more like oh i should probably move on and i'm looking at uh 
at the iHunter on my phone trying to see what, what I've got coming up and it's flat. It looks like it's flat for a bit and then I've got to start climbing and God, it's just so nice here. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stay here for a couple like for another ten minutes. It's I don't need to move on and then I heard something. I'm pretty excited and it was a squirrel. So that was a bit uh I think I was I think I was trying a bit too hard to uh to manufacture something exciting and hanging out a bit more and then then I did hear uh something moving in the woods that I knew was big and I knew there was an elk coming in, so um that was quite exciting and I did have a lots of like a tree that was really good cover the wind was in my favor and I had about 80 yards until it got really thick and right where it got thick I saw I saw the rack and I knew right away it was big enough so I just sat there patiently he was moving around I had my gun up safety off and I was like okay if he keeps going in that direction I should have a good shot and I did have a shot and only for about three or four seconds and I didn't take it. And then he took another step and he was back in the thick and I was pretty disappointed with myself and pretty upset. And he was now courting, like he was walking away. Cause I think he thought something was up cause he should have, should have seen an elk at that point. So Cal called again a couple times and was lucky enough that that turned him around. And uh, he came in about another five yards, and and that was that was good enough. And I fired, and yeah. Then what happened? Well, then uh, took a couple steps. He didn't fall over, so I moved up about ten more yards and and fired again, and uh, he fell over. Yeah, so it turns out you got him the first time, and then you got him again, which is great. And I'm a strong advocate for shooting until they're down, especially when you, you're you in brushy country and you just can't be sure. But So I'm over on the other side of the hill, just not, well, not far from you. I'm 400 yards from you. And I hear a boom, and it's like there's a certain sound you hear when there's a hit, and it's swack. And the night before, Tommy, you actually had a a shot at an elk uh, out in the open there and the crossing the river. That when you shot, I knew you missed. Cause I could hear it. Just there was no thwack. There was no hit. And it turns out you missed. Um, which which is another story we don't have time for. But um, but Jenny, when I heard that that hit, I was like thwack. I was like. I knew it was you, and I was like, "Oh, sweet, <laughs> Jenny got an elk." <laughs> was, yeah. Was... And then I heard another shot. It was swack. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, <laughs> she got it again." <laughs> yeah. Okay, this elk is gonna be down. And then thwack. I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, you got it. So awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome. And uh, yeah, I've never been more excited for. Somebody shooting. That was that was cool. Yeah, I was pretty excited for sure. It's a good feeling, and it's uh, hilarious too. And you know, your buddies are listening, and <laughs> and then they're going to be all fired up. Yeah, there's a pretty good little video on the Instagram of, of you shaking. When I got up to you, you're still hadn't gone up to the elk, and your your knees are like shaking. 
and still, this is 20 minutes after you shot or something by the time I got to you. Yeah. And uh, anticipating what's going to happen, but uh, then... Um, well, and I think I'm pretty good at controlling my buck fever, but not my bull fever, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I, Trust me, I've missed so many elk. I mean, I, I've missed more elk than, I don't know, lots of elk. I've missed a handful for sure now. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, they're tough, you know, and I've, yeah, yeah, they're tough. So, I, I don't know. Shoot them. Shoot them till they're down. And uh, uh, there's a lot. Yeah, they're wonderful. And you don't want to miss out on, uh, you don't want to deal with the grief of finding a, a blood trail that disappears. So, oh, that was awesome. And then, and then the best part was, like, <laughs> As we just as we're getting up to the elk, the like Tommy just like like just appears out of the woods and just like smashes you with a big hug and like, yeah, was... it was cool that we were all together for sure. I mean, we weren't we weren't hunting that close together, but it was uh, it was pretty well. It's a half hour rendezvous, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Dylan, I think I think we both at what Jenny you included. Um, we we all wanted it to happen for you more than ourselves. So I missed yeah, that shot your... the night before on purpose. <laughs> well, and, and we let we let Dave oh. take that out too. So yeah, was, yeah. Uh, I pulled the trigger <laughs> on the safety just just so, like just to make it all make it for a good story. But really, I don't want to kill that elk. You know, so. yeah, it might have saved us well, from a bit of a rodeo of like you know shooting at an elk in the middle of a river at 400 yards. But yeah, yeah. Well, and you, I mean, I've packed a couple elk off the mountains in the last couple of years that uh, that I didn't get to take home, and then. I went home from our trip early last year due to an injury. So you guys, uh, after I got my dreamy first elk with little effort, I put in a couple hard years. So I think you guys felt that I was due and it was pretty exciting to have your support. And I'm pretty happy the way it turned out. Yeah. Best, best elk hunt. Yeah, for sure. Best elk hunt in a long time, Jenny. It was awesome. I'm so glad we got to share that, share that moment together. And, um, bit of a, bit of a tumultuous pack out. There was, that was the longest 500 meters um back to the river um but uh yeah it was funny so so we have we're, we're coming down all that so you know we're, we're loaded up we're gonna do it in, in six loads just still like your pack loads are gonna be around 80 pounds a, a piece for each one of those loads and it's like a straight shot down you can almost see the river from where you killed that elk and but it's straight down and it just happens to be straight down through this giant patch of blowdown and we got sucked in by the like the short distance but we, we made a terrible mistake. We didn't send a scout down. And unfortunately, like we normally, you like this, normally you end up coming, like if you're going to come into a kill site, you typically would come in, like at least Tommy or myself would have come in from the most logical path back to, to the camp. And because we both came in from your flanks, because we were hunting similar, you know, we didn't know that there was this horrible patch of blowdown below us, between us and the river. And we somehow got caught in the middle of it with, you know, 80 pound packs on and just all, all had a bit of a predicament that that was a bit of an ugly one. That was my, that was one of my scariest times in the, probably in the lot. I think that was my second scariest time in all of our pack raft trips, just because the, the, the percentage that we would get injured in my mind was really high. Really high. I've got an 80 pound pack and I'm walking across. I'm trying to go over top of this blowdown. So I'm walking on a tree that's a foot wide or half a foot wide eight feet off the ground and uh, i was just really nervous to see my winter evaporate with a uh with a twisted knee or a, a broken uh tip fib or something so it was uh i found that quite stressful and at one point i i was about to go uh i was about to do a face plant 
I tripped and, and I was I was heading down the steep hill and the uh, the rack actually caught up because it was so thick on uh, on the blow down behind me. So I was just sort of hanging there with uh, the rack um, tied up in the trees behind me and I was able to use my ski pole and push myself back up and <laughs> untangle myself and continue on my way down. Oh, well, yeah, that was, but it was well worth it. And uh, yeah, loading the boat, loading the boat with a full elk and that was awesome. I, I remember we, we kind of, we'd run out of beer. It's <laughs> coming back to, to loop back to our beginning of the story. We, we'd run out of beer on this trip, which is unusual, but we ended up, we sort of thought we were going to do like a two day trip on this river. And it turned out that we were kind of getting into elk every day and sort of thought, well, shit, we should try and stretch it out. So we were stretching out our food and our beer. We kind of ran out of beer, but as we we're packing this elk back, getting the second load off the mountain, Dave, Dave messaged us and we have a little bit of cell service and he's like, and I told him that Jenny, Jenny, you got a bull. And he said, he said, I prayed all night last night that Jenny would get a bull. And, and, uh, and I, and I, and he's like, I, and I said, well, I, I'm praying right now that there's going to be a case of beer back at camp. I sort of in the back of my mind thought I was like maybe you know if Dave's not that far away I don't know how far away Dave was but if he could like shuttle a case of beer down on that ATV trail like like I would believe and yeah I would definitely like yeah believe in beer. converted I'd be converted <laughs> man like it was great anyways we had a good chuckle on the text there with Dave and he was very I think he was quite thankful that it all worked out in the best way possible uh, on the hunt and uh, yeah I think he's uh, yeah feeling good right now about how everything went and, and I think. Uh, yeah. So are we, hey? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's wrap this up because I know everybody's got to get back to other stuff and thanks so much for doing this. But we have a couple things we got to just wrap up. We have we have our West Coast Kitchen most memorable meal. Tommy, what was our most memorable meal on this trip? Oh, on this trip? Could it be any trip or do you want this well, trip? No, I thought we had a couple of interesting ones. The, okay, the, the, the most memorable one was absolutely uh dave sent us down river with the heart of uh the elk that he had shot the one that we did not shoot um and yeah we 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 ate that that night by a campfire and it was magnificent so we had elk heart just straight you know kind of fried not fried grilled um with some steak steak spice and then I think we had a side of one. It might have been a Persian um, West Coast kitchen. Oh, the Persian, you know? yeah, yeah, beef, yeah, Persian beef. I think that's a good one. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was delicious. So that was that was my most memorable meal. Um, it was it was magnificent. Totally. Well, if you wanna if you wanna get in on West Coast Kitchen, you can get the discount code from our show notes. And please uh, buy if you if you buy their stuff, use our discount code so they know that you're listening and, and checking in. Okay, last question for you, Jenny. Now that you've got your your bull elk, um, this question is brought to us by our friends at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, where folks should um, be part of the conservation community. They should get out there, be active, be involved, join a community. I'd recommend the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers here in BC. There's chapters in each of our regions in, throughout BC, and they do good work for conservation. And more importantly, they create community for folks like us to get together and talk about hunting and share our knowledge with the new generation of hunters. Um, Jenny, what is your dream hunt coming up? Do you have an, so you've, you've a great elk, uh, you've got a great elk hunt thinking about 
what you want to do next for a dream hunt in British Columbia, what would it be? Well, I'm lucky that I'm, uh, my freezer is pretty full after we had some successful fishing trips and, uh, the bear hunt was uh, successful as well. So I've got a couple more, uh, I had a black tail hunt coming up and a white tail hunt coming up. But I think my, what I'm going to focus on and putting a lot of energy towards the next couple of years is, uh, a winter goat in Terrace. So I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get another animal on my skis. We had that bison hunt that was on skis and that sort of combines both of my passions. So I'd love to uh, to make that happen again and look for a goat up north. Okay. Well, I know I, I know a couple of folks that are pretty experienced with that. So maybe we could all get involved in that. Yeah. Coming up. That'd be, yeah, be awesome. Cool. Well, Tommy, uh, Jenny, I, I got to say that was just a delightful trip. Like the, the connection between the three of us was so, so pleasant. It was so much fun. And um, yeah, let's do it again. Hey. Oh, we will. Love to. Yeah, we will. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, folks. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and We'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast, or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis, talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. They're tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, Burst Columbia area. We do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild. Well.